Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 335 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. It is Sunday, January 30th, and I am joined, as often, by Scott Coleman. Scott, it's been a while since you and I talked in this forum. Hello. Yeah, far too long. Last time we got together, just you and I, of course, there's been some great content on this feed since then, but the last time you and I got together for one of these was December 20th, which feels like a lifetime ago. Uh, so, of course, still no... I guess, real concrete baseball news, but we do have a lot to discuss and including a pretty interesting report from Ken Rosenthal. So it should be a good episode. For sure. And yeah, Eric and I talked three weeks ago on this feed. And as you mentioned, there's been a ton of content in this space. Sean Coleman is doing yeoman's work in between, uh, kind of firing away on the Daily Hammer, including a couple episodes this week. And then also the Road to Atlanta guys talked this week about the prospect list. And as I always say, without even, this is no bias. I mean, I guess there is some bias, but the prospect list is one of the best things that we do on the site. Uh, and the prospect, I, I say we, I have no, I have no <laughs> contributions to it whatsoever. Yeah. But Eric, Eric and the boys do a fantastic job on that list. And it came out last week. They did a podcast about it. And while you and I are not experts in the prospect space, there is one thing that sort of I want to get into on that list. And it's uh, actually because it's a player that has some major league experience. So uh, basically, not to spoil it, because it's been out for a while, people can find it if they want to. And I would, again, encourage everybody to read it. Uh, Christian Pache is number one on the list. And I wasn't surprised by that, but he also is a guy who is, I don't know, I don't know if controversial is even uh, the word, but he's certainly a guy that has some prospect shine that has come off a little bit. In the little, uh, you know, I guess in the last year or so, he's still 23 years old and definitely a top tier guy. But as we've talked about a number of times, he's been pretty bad in the majors in a small sample size. And to give you a national reference point, it's only one, but it's Baseball America, who uh, I, I do trust. Shouts to Carlos Colazzo, old friend of the podcast. He's over there. Um, Pache went from number seven on their list nationally last year to number 84 this year. So that's quite a drop in one year. And I ask, I lay all that out to just say like, were you surprised by Pache being number one still? And uh, beyond the surprise, do you th- still kind of believe in him? Yeah. And like surprised that he dropped. I, I don't think so. He had a pretty pedestrian year at AAA. Um, he had a strong finish to the year, which m- was maybe encouraging. But, you know, he even with the strong finish to the year, uh, he only hit 265 with a 330 on base. Uh, the power numbers were not really there. He struck out and 27 and a half percent of his plate appearances without walking a ton. So there, there's some, I think some concern there. And of course, Pache, it, it's such a small sample at the big league level. I don't think you can take too much away from that, but 
Uh, yeah, I think the shine has come off a little bit. As you noted, he's 23 years old. And I think for the longest time with Pache, there was just so much optimism because the defense was major league ready. I mean, it's been major league ready for like two years now. He could go out there and play a strong center field at the major league level tomorrow if he needed to. It's just the bat that hasn't come around. And I think there was some hope because of just uh, how athletic he was. And he has a fairly clean swing. And so far that hasn't happened. He's 23. It's not like he's an old man. You're not talking about a guy who's 26 here. And it's like, well, I don't know. Maybe he's just not going to work out here. Um, But for a guy who over the last 18 months had drawn some comparisons to a young Ronald Acuna Jr. with his five tool skill set, uh, he hasn't quite developed that level. I, I certainly think he has a future, at least in the big leagues. Um, but he just may never blossom into the star that so many had him pegged for a year or two ago. Yeah. And, you know, it's not like it's a shock to anyone. Not that we're not that you and I are prospect experts, but if there was a way that Pache was not going to become a star, everyone kind of said it was the bat that people were more worried about. Not that he doesn't have tools and the power is legitimate when he connects. But the one question, if you had one, was his hit tool. And that's been the question so far in the majors. And it looks like it's still the question. And uh, I'm going to let you say the say the name that you invoked in our in our uh, in our document here <laughs> about what he could be. But like, I will say this is an optimistic point. And I think the guys made this point as well in the prospect list. Like there is a path for Pache to be a very good regular. And that may not be a star. He may not be a Cunha because nobody should have thought he was going to be that anyway, because that's obviously, you know, uber elite. But there's a path for him to be a long time, good, you know, expensive quality player in center field without being a top tier hitter. The hope would be that like he becomes an average hitter and an average hitter with his glove in center field is a three or four win player. And that's a really good player. Uh, I set that up perfectly just for you, because uh, there is there is a recent comparison of a player that sounds pretty similar to that with the Braves. Yeah. And. We, we poke fun at what Ender and Ciarte kind of emerged into over his time with the Braves. But again, there's a lot of value in defensive first center fielders, especially at such a premium position and not just Ender, right? Maybe, maybe Pache does never turn into Ronald Acuna Jr., uh, which is quite the ceiling considering he might be the best player on the planet. But an Ender and Ciarte, a Jackie Bradley Jr., a Kevin Kiermeyer, we've seen what kind of impact that guy can have, especially in a playoff series with his incredible glove. I mean, I think Kiermaier is probably like a top 5% outcome for Pache at this point. Um, but but that kind of player, and who knows where he's ultimately going to end. I, I think 2022 is a big year for Pache's development. He's had a full year in the minor leagues, or a AAA, I should say, and then had, uh, you know, he's gotten a taste of the upper levels now for a couple years now. Um, we'll see if the Braves ultimately open the season with him on the roster, or if they think he needs more time. I think my preference would be for him to continue getting reps at the minor league level and try to figure it out because I'm just not sure short of a light bulb suddenly flicking on. I'm just not sure he's going to be successful at this uh, very point. But again, he's still young, man. Guys, not everybody can be Acuna or Soto or Tatis and suddenly become one of the best players in the game at age 20. He might just need a little more time. And even if the bat never comes around like we hope, if he's a really, really good defensive center fielder, you can probably hide him in the eighth or ninth spot spot in the order uh, and get a, a serviceable big leaguer, at least for a couple of years. For sure. And one more plug before we move on. Eric and I talked about the outfield on our last full episode of this of the Talking Chop podcast, and we, and we referenced that and kind of you know laid it out the case for whether you should play him this year or not and also 
I kind of said, like, look, it depends on what else you have. Because if you go into if you go into the season with a DH and a lineup that has looks like it's going to be pretty strong, it's a lot easier to play Pache on opening day in center field and have him just bat ninth and expect little from him with the bat. But if you need him to hit, that's something else different. So we'll get back into that once we know what the outfield is going to look like at some point along the way. But I thought that was a good bridge to get into a little bit of prospect talk. And also, again, that, that podcast episode and also the entire list, definitely worth reading because those guys do a ton of work on the prospect space. Um, before we dive into the Matt Olson of it all, uh, you mentioned it earlier, not a lot of news here. The CBA front is relatively quiet. There were a couple meetings this week, and that is actually a little bit of progress. Monday and Tuesday, they met back-to-back days. They talked about like pre-arbitration bonus pools and minimum salary, stuff like that, but not, not as much on like the top tier money issues, which are what, what, what I think uh, Evan Drellich has taken to call them the core economics. That's been the, uh, yeah. that's been the big sticking point and everyone that's sort of looming over everything. You can talk about DHs all day long and pre-arb stuff, but the core economics is the looming domino here and nothing else, at least at the moment has been scheduled to talk about that. So there's a little bit of progress and everyone described that way, but like Jeff Passan, your, your nemesis, Jeff Passan, uh, kind of just said, look, it's good. They're meeting, but no one's expecting a deal and a deal didn't get done. And that's kind of status quo right now. Yeah. I think it's, um, you know, glass half full. The fact that they did meet back-to-back days is, is encouraging. And I know that there's been some frustration. It's like, well, are these guys just sitting around on the days when they aren't meeting no, of course not. There, there's plenty of work being done here behind the scenes. I mean, this is a this new CBA has billions and billions of dollars at stake, right? Like this is not just two friends trying to settle up how much they're going to pay one another for a lawnmower. Like there, there's so much money at stake here that it, it it's going to take time. Now, I would argue they should have used the month of December when they basically did nothing uh, after <laughs> yes. the lockout started to figure out a few of these things, especially those minor uh, minor topics you pointed to so they could focus on the, the big matters at hand. Um, it, it seems like, at least publicly, while the meetings have been reported as uh, a little contentious and uh, maybe not happy-go-lucky, the fact that they are meeting, it seems like both sides have been willing to make some concessions so far um, is encouraging. But at the same time, you hear things like uh, they want to have this new bonus pool for players who are in pre-arb years. Um, so like Ronald Acuna Jr., for example, yes, he's only going to make the league minimum for a couple of years. But if he's in the top 50 in war, he's going to get bonuses. Well, MLBPA proposed a bonus pool of $110 million and the owners came back with 10 million. So that is a, a small, huge a small gap, gap there. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, what's what's $100 million between friends, right? So um, I think ultimately nobody wants to miss games. Maybe they have to delay the season or spring training by a little bit. Uh, we'll see what they ultimately have to do. But I think it's encouraging they've been able to come to the table and talk. And let's hope over these next you know two weeks or so, we're recording this on January 30th, uh, let's hope by maybe middle February they're able to work out something and we can have a, a normal baseball season. That would be good. You know, the, the, clock, the clock is ticking, and a lot of people talked about this early, like February 1st was kind of a – not a deadline, but a, a marker of sorts because if they don't start moving quickly, spring training gets affected in a hurry. I know you are obviously live in Arizona where it becomes a different – kind of place in the world starting at about February 20th. Like it starts yeah. to get a lot busier. Hotels are a lot more expensive. People are coming into town, all that stuff. And that doesn't happen if they don't get a deal done pretty soon, honestly, because um, spring training will be impacted on some level regardless of this. But, uh, you know, 10 days maybe they can get up, up and running before they get actually starts. So they're going to have to hurry it along. I personally, 
not, not that I don't care about spin training, but I, I think that's not my biggest concern. Um, yeah. I think it's more like the deadline becomes like, you know, a month from now on terms of what I'm thinking on the yeah. actual season, but uh, they have to hurry on some level here. I, I agree. And I mean, anybody who's been to spring training the first like week and a half knows how silly it almost is like pitchers are not the first day it's, yeah it's, it's the first day of excitement and then it's like all right there's no games for a while and what are we even doing here and every day you just hope nobody gets hurt nobody pulls a hammy no pitcher starts having shoulder fatigue like you're just trying to make sure guys are getting their reps in they're getting their cardio at the end of the day and then they hit the golf course for the final four hours of the afternoon right like it's it's not high level stuff. So I, I think you're right. I mean, ultimately the other thing too, is if you're talking about pitchers and catchers and maybe they miss a week or two and a deal gets wrapped up by the end of February, you know, I would assume that most guys have access to a mound. They could get some work in with a, you know, a college coach or uh, you know, some of the guys live near each other, right? There, there's ways for teams to work around a lockout. So players aren't at a risk of getting injured, even if spring training gets delayed a little bit. Yeah, that is uh, about right. But regardless, it's almost February, uh, Super Bowl's in a couple of weeks. Like we're getting close to when baseball starts to come into the national front burner because, you know, right now, unless you're a diehard like us, no one is really sweating baseball, not being around, unless again, you're a diehard, but the more casual baseball fans going to wake up in a couple of weeks and be like, uh, why aren't they playing again? Like I had, I had someone in my life, this is not, this is not a joke, someone in my life, um, that I think, you know, not as a huge baseball fan, but like watches baseball when the season is going and like goes to games and things. Um, we were talking about something else this week and I kind of mentioned the lockout and they were like, wait, baseball's in a lockout. And they weren't, and they weren't kidding. <laughs> and uh, I, I mean, I, I, it sounds funny to me and I know it sounds funny to you, yeah. but there are a lot of baseball fans that either don't know what a lockout is or don't really care right now, but they're going to start caring in about a month. I'll tell yeah. you that right now. So I think so too. If, if we're in this spot in four weeks, I think then you can realistically say we're probably not going to have baseball on opening day. Does, does that seem fair? Does that sound right? Cause yeah, just because they so. get an agreement, right? Like let's say, all right, we have a deal, but just because you have a deal, obviously some wheels have to get in motion. Like you still have to go through arbitration. <laughs> there's still some, and here's your, here's my professional segue. There's still some very high profile free agents out there. And, <laughs> and if you want to swing a trade, I mean, there's, it's not like once they sign a deal, all of these rosters are finalized and everyone's going to show up. And then two days later, you can start having full on workouts. Like there's, there's things to get through, even though once, uh, you know, once a deal gets reached. Yeah. We're going to get into some of that big picture stuff, but uh, to your point, I think it's almost easy to forget this because you know, there's been some weird CBA stuff in the recent past, like, you know, two years ago before the pandemic riddled season of 2020, but free agency had already happened during all that stuff. Like there was a deadline, but the roster was set. You know what I'm talking about? Like, or not set, yeah. but like mostly set right mm -hmm. now, they have like half a free agency still to go in baseball. There are so many guys who are real guys who are unsigned and so many trades that will happen. There'll be a, there'll be a flurry when it all is allowed to happen, but this is not your typical, like, will they or won't they from two years ago where like, it was just about the, you know, but just about the virus and how they're going to play. There's a whole, like, at least, I would say at least two weeks of like roster madness to come once they yeah. say, okay. And then you get a spring trade, everything else. So regardless, we've done too much on that for now, but it's coming back in the near future. And if there's more talks, we'll, talk, we'll, we'll discuss them in this space. Uh, before we get to the big rumor and discussion point of the week though, a word from our sponsors on the show today. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, 
the future of work. Questions including what are we missing when we work remotely or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking. From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the future of work, a PropG Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropG Pod wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Scott, let's dig into Matt Olson. Uh, we discussed Matt Olson on this podcast before yeah. as a Park, potential yeah. target. Parkview High School's third most famous alumni behind Brad Rowland and Jeff Rancourt. I caught that you wrote that in a post and I was like, wow, Chris, Chris is a, you gotta, you gotta edit that out, man. Like what are, what are we doing here? <laughs> uh, no, I'm kidding. But um, yeah, we, we discussed Matt Olson before on this show, but I think it's safe to assume, and I try to be responsible on this stuff and take it from the media side of the reporting. But once Ken Rosenthal who is arguably the number one newsbreaker, if not number one, number two with passing, something like that. Um, once he gets in the mix and starts reporting like actual talks between the two sides, it becomes a different level for us more. It's still speculative, but not quite as much. So I'm going to read a little bit of what Rosenthal reported. I'm sure people have seen this by now, but just to give you some context for people that may not be dialed in every day. Um, again, this is what Ken, Ken Rosenthal wrote this week. Quote, if I'm the Braves, I'm thinking about a preemptive strike coming out of the lockout to protect against the loss of first baseman Freddie Freeman. And if I'm Freeman, I'm thinking about a preemptive strike to get a free agent contract I want rather than wait one more second for the Braves. Our longstanding assumption of they'll just work it out no longer applies. They might still work it out, considering their agreement might be the most sensible outcome. But rest assured, both sides are weighing their options. It would not be a surprise for either once business resumes to act quickly. And then... He later says uh, the Braves and A's discussed a deal. That's the way he put it. Discussed a deal for Matt Olson before the lockout started. And it was, quote, more than due diligence, end quote. And then the last thing he says, once baseball business resumes, no one should be surprised if this saga takes an abrupt turn, end quote. Again, this is not just anyone. This is Ken Rosenthal. He's not fooling around. So I say all that, Scott. What was your reaction to this? I know you wrote about Matt Olson this week, but uh, did you have the like uh, like head turn reaction to this like some people did? Or were you kind of just not as moved by it? So a little bit of both. Um, we have talked here and offline and on TalkingChop.com and on Twitter that no matter what ultimately happens, you can rest assured that Alex Anthopoulos and the front office are using this time off or whatever you want to call this lockout to figure out a plan A, B, C, and D. Um, because as Rosenthal pointed out and said it pretty bluntly, we have just assumed that Freddie Freeman and the Braves were going to ultimately reunite. And that certainly may happen, but here we are, like he's still not signed. He is still a free agent. There were reports that they were uh, a little ways apart on what they wanted in terms of years and dollars per year. Uh, who knows? I mean, again, you talked about teams that need some first base help and they're teams that could spend big money. It's the Dodgers, the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Blue Jays. Like those are teams that could very feasibly sign a contract that would be big enough to lure Freddie away. Um, I think you and I are in agreement that plan A for the Atlanta Braves should be to re-sign Freddie Freeman. Um, I think most Braves fans are in agreement on that. But at the same time, you have to have some kind of an ability to quickly react and come up with a plan B or a plan C, because guess what? If, if Freddie says, you know what, I'm going to I want to stay out west. I'm from California and I want to sign with the Dodgers or, or the Angels or somebody uh, or, or any team for that matter. You're not going to have weeks and weeks and weeks to figure out what you want to do at first base. And Matt Olson, to me, is clearly the best option 
outside of Freddie Freeman. Yeah, he is. And the preemptive strike wording was interesting just because it's something that we've said before. I'm not trying to pay a dude that picture because I agree with you. The priority still needs to be trying to sign Freddie. And I think that if I had to guess still right now, January 30th, that they'll sign him. I really do think that, that that's probably the most likely scenario still. But um, he doesn't have to come back and tell you. Freddie could sign the first day post lockout with somebody else with the Braves having nothing to do with it. I'm not saying that's going to happen. I think that Freddie probably makes a call or his agent does and says, look, we're about to sign that we're about to sign for this and this with team X and gives the Braves a chance to match or exceed. I would guess that probably happens, but he doesn't have to, he's not restricted. There's no reason he has to do that. Um, yeah. So uh, there's always a little bit of danger. And especially when you get into the, uh, the preemptive nature of what he's reporting there. I think that the fact that they discussed a deal makes it even more interesting. Um, I don't think there's a realistic scenario where Anthopolis really would trade for Matt Olson before resolution with Freddie Freeman, unless he's just like, look, we're, we have no chance of keeping him. And I can't imagine what that would have to look like behind the scenes. Um, I would be, I mean, just for a second, let's imagine a scenario, Scott, where Freddie is unsigned and they spend the prospect capital required and it gets reported and done to trade for Matt Olson, but while Freddie's still a free agent, can you imagine the reaction if they did that? So it's interesting, though, because if I'm the Braves in Anthopolis, I want to be out ahead of this. I, I don't blame you. But I'm just saying, can you imagine the reaction? <laughs> it would be I, insane. You know, it's funny because I think Matt Olson is, yes, the reaction would be insane. I also think that Olson is probably the only guy out there who, from a, you know, a PR perspective, that you could sell as the replacement to Freddie Freeman. For as much as he's meant to this organization for the last decade, I think Olsen is probably the one guy, unless there's just some star first baseman who's available that we aren't thinking of. Like, I think Olsen is probably, he's an all-star. He's a local kid. He had a uh, terrific 2021. Um, he's in his prime. Like, he's the one guy who I could see them pivoting to if no Freeman. Um, so I guess to, to your point, if I'm the Braves, I want to get out ahead of it. But yes, the idea that they could potentially <laughs> trade for Olsen while Freddie is still a free agent would be a surprise, but it might be in their best interest to one way or the other uh, try to get out ahead of it. Yeah, that all makes logical sense. I'm trying to envision the press conference where Anthopolis has to sit down and take questions about the trade for Matt Olson with Matt Olson on the dais and Freddie still being a free agent. And I would feel bad for Matt Olson because half the questions would be about Freddie at that press conference, I think, maybe more. And rightfully so, when you're talking about the face of the franchise, um, I guess there is also like the ex extremely small remote scenario where you also sign Freddie and trade for Matt Olson. There's like a 0.1% chance of that happening. But if, if you have a DH, you could do it. I'm just saying. You could now possibly there's your lineup right there. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm kind of kidding, but you could if you wanted to. And the thing is, this is going to sound blasphemous, Scott, but we're going to talk about Olson as a player for a second. Okay. This is, uh, let's be objective here. Let's say the next six seasons because that's been what has been reported that freddie is asking for is a six-year deal we don't know that to be sure but it's been reported uh i'll just ask the question objectively take all emotion out who is a better more valuable player over the next six seasons matt olsen or freddie Freeman? uh over the next six years i would take matt olsen because and i guess we should probably before we go too deep here let's let's outline matt olsen go ahead. because matt olsen plays in oakland which is just kind of a forgotten, I mean, they've been really successful for the better part of the last five or six seasons, but yeah, he's not famous by the way. That's the thing. Like people that know baseball really well are like, Oh yeah, Matt Olson's awesome. But like 
going back to my casual fan friend that I talked yeah. about earlier, yeah. there's almost no chance other than him being a Parkview High School alum that some of my friends, not that they may not know who he is, but have no grasp on how good Mendelssohn actually is. For sure. And with most of our listeners, not all, but most of our listeners being in uh, the Southeast or East Coast or even the South, wherever, wherever you may be, um, you know, Matt Olson plays in Oakland where the first pitch is thrown at 10, 10 p.m. local time in Atlanta most most nights. Um, he is very, very good. Um, last season, he was actually a, a better hitter than Freddie Freeman was. Um, he hits for power. He gets on base. I mean, he's pretty. He's a pretty similar hitter to Freddie. He does all the things. It's that remarkable, does. actually, how similar they are. It's it's it crazy. Is. And the big thing is, and you're gonna get to, it, I'm sure. But uh, the reason why I think both you and I just kind of casually took Matt Olson in a, in a six year thing, and I heard you clarify six years, and I'm guessing that's because Matt Olson is almost five years younger than Freddie. Yeah, that, that's the big domino here. Exactly. Olson is 28, or actually, he's 27. I think he's about to turn 28. Whereas Freddie is 32 and a half. Obviously, Freddie Freeman has a lot of good baseball ahead of him, but you can't just discount four and a half years, especially when you're talking about the middle and the primes of their careers, because quite honestly, it is it is entirely possible that Freddie Freeman has had his best season. It's, it's behind him at this point. I mean, um, I think that's actually likely if you factor in, especially if you factor in the MVP year. Uh, like sure, he's not likely sure. to be better than that ever again, uh, nor was he likely to be that good ever. I mean, that, that's not even a shot at Freddie. He's been incredible his yeah. entire career, but that's still kind of an outlier season in terms of like how ridiculous he was. He had a 462 on base percentage and slugged 640. Mm. Like he was just outrageous. But I mean, I don't know about you. If I, if, if the question was the next three years, I might take the safety of Freddie, to be honest I, with you. I agree with you. Yep. Um, but the years four, five, six is when you kind of start thinking, look, I'm, and again, to reemphasize this, I know for me, and I think for you too, I have no issue with the Braves giving Freddie Freeman a six-year deal. I really don't. Knowing though, that by the end, it probably isn't going to look great. Yeah. That's, that's kind of where I am. Uh, there's some emotional attachment there, all that stuff. There's some, you know, buy at the front to give away some of the value at the back. I, if the Braves sign Freeman to a six-year deal, I'm going to come on this podcast and say, this is good for the Braves, but the end's probably going to end badly. Just because of the age. And, that's, and again, that's not a, that's any player. There's pretty much no one ever outside of Barry Bonds for obvious reasons that was like as good at 35, 36, 37, 38 as they were at 32. Like some guys are like Nelson Cruz had a kind of an outlier, weird. And it happens. But yeah. most guys do not have that aging curve where like they're just a star all the way till they're 37, 38 years old. That's the only thing that yeah. we're talking about here. Even, I mean, even locally, Chipper Jones. I mean, he had a couple injuries, but Chipper, of course, aged really well. And um, still wasn't and still wasn't as good as he was in his prime. Like he was really good course. late, but he was a different, he was a different guy. For sure. And even in baseball today, it's just the history of first basemen, they do not age particularly well. Even first ballot Hall of Famers like Miguel Cabrera and Albert Pools, like those guys have been those contracts have really held back Detroit and they've, Anaheim. Those they've looked terrible. I mean, those deals are actually, I mean, they're more than what Frey is going to get in terms of like compared to market and length, particularly yeah. the pools deal is wild, but like pools is a great example. And pools was better than Freddie in their prime. And he's older too. Like Fred, and pools is like in his forties, <laughs> yeah. but he hasn't been good since he was 36, 35. For like, sure. He's been he's been playing in the majors for five, six more seasons, but he's been below average for five or six years. 
And it's because of the contract that he got, he still got to play that much, but that's actually a great example. Like pools was still a good player until he was like 35, 36. And then he fell off the cliff. And I'm not saying it's going to happen to Freddie, but if you're Anthopolis and you're trying to be as cool about this as possible, somewhere deep in his mind, he I'm sure is worried about years, if not four, well, especially five and six of Freddie's yeah. next deal. And he should be, it's, I mean, it's part of the job. Naturally. And in free agency, the general rule is that unless you're able to sign a guy on a really short term, you know, one year bounce back deal, you're usually going to have to overpay somewhere, whether it's in dollars or years. And I think, I know, I know your answer to this, Brad, but I would, I know I would much rather overpay on a, a dollar basis and trim it down to a five-year deal somehow Agree. than, than go another sixth year. Um, well, especially you know, with the Braves books, we, we talked about it a hundred times, yeah. but you know, when, when you're guys that are super young and awesome, let's just lay it out one more time for everybody that knows this Acuna and Albies are both under contract for extremely cheap through 2027. That is yep. six years. So that kind of lays it out for you. Now, you know, that's still wild to me. That that's the case. But for the next six seasons, including 2022, they're under contract for $24 million a year combined. And that should, I say should because it's not given, that should give you wiggle room to pay Freddie a lot up front. Now, they do have some money uh, sort of assigned for this season. That's a lot of money. Like you're paying Charlie Morton a bunch of money. Will Smith a bunch of money. Um, Ozuna is on under contract, as I say under my breath. Mm, um, yeah. But I'm totally with you. Like if it's, I would rather pay a few million dollars extra AAV early, and I think the Braves probably would too, as long as they had the backing of ownership. But at the same time, Freddie knows that, and he yeah. probably wants the total money, and he and he should. So there's that back and forth of people like us. Common sense would tell you that, yeah. I'd rather give him four years and 200 million. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's not yeah. going to happen, but like four for 160 sounds great to me. If I'm the Braves, I, yeah, really, I, I, I mean that hundred percent. I would rather do, you're absolutely right. And I can tell, and I'm sure some people are going to look at us like we're crazy, but yes, I would rather do like a four year, $150 million deal than a six year, $150 million deal. As crazy as that is just to get that. <laughs> just logically. I mean, yeah. It's not my check. It's not my checkbook. And then in four years, if Freddie's still killing it, you sign him again. I mean, that that's the, but that's all hypothetical. I don't think it's going to happen. No, um, but okay. on the, yeah. Go ahead. And Go ahead. I, I was going to say on the money issue, I wanted to bring this up too, because not that this is a, either you get Freddie Freeman or you get Matt Olson and there's no, no other alternatives. But I, I mean, I would guess that's probably the two odds on favorites for first, ba uh, first base in a month and a half. Um, Freddie's going to make what 25 to 30 million. Uh, yes. Matt Olson, again, to go over his profile a little bit more is arbitration eligible for two more years. He is expected to earn about $12 million in 2022. And then you would assume, is, is, unless there's some drastic change to the CBA, he's probably going to make 18 to $20 million in 2023. Um, the difference between Matt Olson at $12 million next year and Freddie Freeman at $30 million is significant. I mean, that, that's sure. a lot of money. So it goes off to this, well, if you sign Freddie Freeman, you don't have to give up any prospect capital versus trade for Olsen. You do have to give up significant prospects. And we should probably talk about that too at some point here. Um, but if you bring in Olsen for 12 million, that leaves significant money to be able to add another piece. At least I think they would have that financial ability because if you have the ability to go 30 on Freddie, 
you obviously have the ability to go 12 on Olsen and I would hope they would put that extra money to work. Um, so that's another just kind of layer to this in addition to the long-term financial impact. Um, you know, in the short term, at least for this year, this upcoming year, it's a significant savings in money. Uh, and then next season as well in 2023, it's not as big of a savings, but it would be a savings nonetheless. Yes, that's that's worth pointing out for sure. Uh, the other side of that would be that you, for, for what they'd have to trade, you would assume the Braves would be pretty interested in giving him an extension, um, a la the Dan Ugly deal. People, people, people forget this, but like, the, the thing with, Dan, with the Dan Ugly trade, which is one of their last more prominent trades the Braves had done, was the trade was fine. It was the extension that was bad. And not saying that also yeah. Dan Ugla, but you're, you're trading for the, for the team control that you still have. And, you know, given what you'd have to give up, and we'll discuss that in a second, you, it would make sense to me that they would at least look to try to extend him. Because if he's not going to extend, yeah. you got it for two years, but then he's, he's hitting the market at, what, 29, 30 and getting a big deal in his own right. So that's interesting in terms of like looking ahead and the prospect capital thing does matter. So yep. we've gone through the entire Anthopolis era, which uh, I guess we haven't said it already includes a world series championship. Uh, we've gone through that entire area without seeing him trade a single top 10 prospect. I ask Eric this all the time to make him laugh, but uh, kind of who the pro- who the top prospect was that he was ever traded uh, under, at least on Eric's list, it was Joey Wentz. So yeah, uh, Matt, if, if they trade for Matt Olson, I'm going to tell you this right now, Braves fans, uh, they're going to give up a package that is going to make some people upset because there's always a contingent that overvalues prospects and Matt Olson is the kind of player where if you actually trade for Matt Olson, it's going to cost you a lot. Yep. Uh, and that's what it should. It should cost you a lot. Now, we're not going to go through like every package possible, but the notion of like untouchable prospects in a Matt Olson deal doesn't really exist. Like they're going to have to trade multiple of their top seven or eight guys in a Matt Olson trade. That's yeah. just the and reality. To, and to me, there's no untouchable prospect in the system right now. There, there's no Acuna. Yeah, no I think Jason. That, Hay- yeah, there's no yeah. Jason Hayward from 12 years ago. Like there's there, there's some good prospects. Don't get me wrong, but there's no one, at least for me, who it would be like um, as short of Mike Trout. We're not giving that guy up. I would agree with that. You know, my, my baseline for that has always been lower than, sorry, has always been higher than some um, just because, you know, in, I can name prospects now of guys that I would have traded in the right deal where people would have like been aghast by it. I think Acuna and Hayward really are the only guys. And since I've been doing this, uh, at least covering the team that I would have put on that list in terms of like actually untouchable prospects, there are some guys that have gotten close but uh, with all respect to Michael Harris and Pache and whoever else, there's nobody on that list right now. So uh, if, I'm sorry if, if, it, if it cost me Michael Harris to get Matt Olson and Freddie's somewhere else, you kind of have to do it. Um, doesn't mean you have to give up everything and that's not tied down. There is, a, there is a point, even for someone like me who is usually pro trading prospects, there's always a point where it's too much. I'm not saying there's not like that break even point, but it's going to cost a lot. Um, and I'm sure the A's we would probably be asking for guys that are maybe even under contract in the majors. Like they might, they might want somebody that's I'm not even thinking about. I'm not saying it's Austin Riley, but if, if you're the A's, the first person I ask for is Austin Riley. They're going to say no, but yeah. that's where I start the conversation because Austin Riley, if you think about it in this way, Austin Riley is their most um, valued prospect. He's not a prospect anymore because he's been an established major leaguer, but he's a guy that doesn't have an extension. He's in pre-arb. And if you look at the roster right now, now that Ozzy and Ronald are signed, Riley is their number one prospect in terms of trade capital 
but they're sure. not going to trade. They're not going to trade. No, so, they're not trade. Yeah. Uh, but well, beyond, so but, beyond that, there isn't like a. I mean, I said all that just to say this: there isn't like a clear cut number two even. Like a lot of a lot of systems, there's like a unanimous number one. Yeah. The Braves don't have a unanimous number one anymore. It's like a year ago, it would have been Pache. It would have been the obvious guy. We wouldn't we wouldn't talk about nonstop. It still might be Pache, but he's not in a tier by himself anymore. You got Pache, Harris, all the way down the line. Yeah. Langoliers. Langoliers, uh, all those guys. And I would guess, again, this is me guessing, but the A's are not going to trade Matt Olson for the first deal that you're thinking of in your head right now, Braves fan. It's not going to be Langoliers and three guys in the 20s. Like it's not, it's going to be, it's going to be four of your top nine, or it's going to be three of your top six prospects. This is the kind of player. This is an actual star level player under contract for two more seasons. It's going to be a lot. It is going to be a lot. And that, and that's, again, it's just another layer to what are they going to do at first base? This is an organization quite obviously trying to win another world series, trying to win the division, what should be a pretty good division next year. After printing Uh, money last year, again, one more time after printing money, in the, yeah. in the playoffs last season. <laughs> they have the financials to pull <laughs> off basically whatever they want to do. And it's it's a debate that's been going on for months at this point. It's, yes, you can sign Freddie Freeman. It's the cleanest by far. The cleanest thing to do is to sign Freddie. Um, it's just going to come down to the contract. And if, if Freddie ultimately leaves, and as you noted a little while ago, he has no obligation to return to this organization, even if most around him expect him to, uh, you know, Freddie could leave. And if he is, you're going to have to figure out a plan B and a plan C. I think Matt Olson is clearly the best option here to replace Freddie. He's someone who you can build around. And, and quite honestly, next year, if you look at the projections, uh, both Freddie and Olson are projected a 140 WRC plus. So they are nearly identical players, at least in terms of the. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think it was Steven, uh, our, our pal, Steven Tolbert, that was like, um, there are two players in the majors that have 140 WRC plus projections for, for Steamer, and it's Matt Olson and Freddie Freeman for next year. They're exactly the same. For sure. It's insane. Right. So if, if you're, you know, so you talk about it being a high price, if you're a Braves fan, go back two years in time and say, if we were going to trade Freddie Freeman away, what kind of prospect package would we want for Freddie Freeman? A lot. Even if Matt Olson isn't, hasn't quite been as good as Freddie Freeman, even though he was better than Freddie in 2021, and you could argue he's better for the next two years. If you were a Braves fan two years ago and say, what would you have to get in return for Freddie Freeman? It's a lot. And, and, I that's, think that's, and that's where we are. That's the thing. I try to put yourself in other people's, other people's shoes. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like fans want their team to do well. And I don't blame them for that. But I try to prepare you. Like the, what you said, it's a great way to do it. I'm glad you said the, exactly the way that you did there was because like if, if they had traded Freddie two years ago, can you imagine what the reaction would have been you would for, any, for any for any package from Braves yeah. fans? It would have been insane. I mean, and I don't I don't blame them. And the A's are not the Braves. And Olsen, like you said, has not been quite as good as Freddie to this point. But like he's their best player. Like it's him and Matt Chapman. They're, they're, they're their best player. Like, yeah. yeah, they don't have a lump. And the only reason why Matt Olsen is even available in trade is because the A's are the A's. Like, and that's something also we should at least say out loud once is that it's not like the A's are saying, please come trade for Matt Olson either. Like we're, we're framing it as this. And I think this is probably right, but we, we think, and Rosenthal reported that Olson's a guy that they're going to go after if they lose Freddie, but there is nothing that says the A's have to trade Matt Olson or that they're looking to trade Matt Olson. Like they might just be like, no, we're good. Like, yeah. I mean, there's always a point where you have to overpay, 
but this is not a situation where Matt Olson has gone to them and said, please trade me or that they have said, sure. we're going to trade Matt Olson. He's available, but available in a way that like stars are available, like only on a cheap team. It's like dealing with Tampa Bay. Like they're going to trade right. him maybe at some point, but it's not going to be for nothing. Right. The A's are a very smart organization. They have no payroll and they've continually won like as many games as anyone in baseball the last five or six seasons. Like the way they operate is very similar to Tampa Bay. Um, you're right. They're under no obligation to trade him, although they are not a dumb franchise. They know that every day that Matt Olson is on their roster next season and the year after that, they are losing out on prospect capital because nobody expects Oakland to be able to resign or spend the money to resign Matt Olson no. in two years for probably a deal similar to what Freddie's about to sign, you know, five, six years, 150 to 180 million. Oakland's not going to do that deal. And they're not dumb, as you noted. I mean, it's funny you brought up, uh, you know, you're trying to think of how Oakland's thinking. Maybe their front office does say, yeah, sure, we'll trade you Matt Olson if you give us Austin Riley. And then it's like, well, all right, obviously that's not going to work. Maybe I'm not kidding. Like, if, if, if I'm the A's, I probably think that the Braves are going to say no. But the first time the Braves call me, I'm like, all right, Austin Riley and what else? Right. It, it's the Marlins. <laughs> it's the Marlins with Christian Yelich a few years ago. Yeah, exactly. If you're not giving us Ronald Acuna Jr., and of course the Braves aren't going to give up Acuna. No. But unless you give us Ronald Acuna Jr., we're not trading you Christian Yelich. Now, I don't know if Oakland's going to draw a hard line. Of course, <laughs> obviously Brad and I are not privy to Billy Bean's cell phone. We, we don't know what's going on. Again, it takes two sides to make a deal. Uh, I guess if we're looking for a positive on all this, it's the Braves have options, and I guess – they even have plans C and D in case Olsen and Freddie don't work out. I would be surprised if if something between those two. It, let me ask you this. What percent chance would you give that on opening day, Freddie Freeman or Matt Olsen are not the Braves starting first baseman? Is it 10% chance, 5% chance? Um, I would think it's probably a little higher for me than that. Only because... I am just, it's so hard for me. Maybe it's my NBA background. It's so hard for me to be like, you know, Freddie's gone and the Braves are definitely traded for Matt Olson. You know what I mean? Like, because it takes two teams. It just does. And yeah, they might decide internally, like we're going to trade whatever, whatever it takes to get Matt Olson if they lose Freddie, but the A's might just not like what they have. I mean, that, that's conceivable. Like trades yeah. are difficult. Um, so maybe I would probably go closer to like 20. Just because I think Freddie's like something like, I don't know, two thirds, one third at this point, like 65, 35 for me. And then another 15% for Matt Olson, just because of all the things in play. That, that might sound low, but and maybe it is. But I think that I don't, I, I just don't want to get down the road and just be like, all right, assume that they're going to have Freddie or Matt Olson, just because it's also Anthopolis, which is the sort of the thing about this is that he does not tip stuff off. Like, would you be surprised if Anthopolis just traded for another first baseman? Like, it wouldn't yeah. it wouldn't surprise me that much because he doesn't tip off anything. I mean, I know it's Rosenthal; sure. he's dialed in. But how many times have we seen Anthopolis pull off a move that nobody saw coming? Like, it's happened ten times, and and obviously they're all at a, at a lower level than this. But he just does he just does stuff in the background. He doesn't. He's not a guy who does the like public negotiation thing either. So, yeah. long story short, I guess I'll go with like. 20%? Are you lower than me? I think you probably are. Um, maybe a little bit. I mean, I, I might put it 10 or 15%. These are, of course, funny percentages yeah. to even throw out there. Like, there's up, some like but... scientific data behind them. But 
Yeah, I, I think ultimately, if if not Freddie Freeman, I'm with you. I, I think Freddie is certainly still the odds-on favorite, and it it is. Anthopoulos doing his due diligence before uh, in the offseason, knowing that he might have to pivot. Um, I think Olsen, I, by the way, just to clarify, I think Olsen is definitely the number one. Like, if you maybe choose another name, it's yeah. Matt Olsen. You know what I mean? Just because it because it's been reported now, because he's theoretically available uh, all that stuff. I think if you made me choose one other person, it's probably Matt Olson. And uh, here's one for you. Here's a wrinkle for you just for fun at the end of the podcast. I think if you go one more name beyond that, it's Austin Riley. <laughs> just just yeah. because like that opens up a lot for the Braves, like Riley can play first base. And I think that if presented itself, like where the Braves were like, all right, here's the third baseman that fell on our lap. They obviously and could and probably would move Austin to first. And, that, and part of that just comes down to like, it's so hard to just pick names out of thin air, which is what I'm making fun of more than anything else. Yeah. But I do think that because of this report and some of the other noise, like he's the number one name to watch, but that's like not the highest bar to clear. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like trying right. to pick another name to trade for in the, in the market. I mean, good luck. Yeah. Especially with the time constraints that they're going to have, like trades take some time to put together. Um, the other, the only real other free agent option I see is Anthony Rizzo. Um, Rizzo's, yeah, he's he's available. That's interesting enough. Like that's not his, the worst thing. His name value probably exceeds his on-field value at this point. Like he yeah. was he was a star with the Cubs, of course, for years when they won the World Series. His last couple seasons have been okay. Um, you know, it's hard to really count the 2020 COVID season, but 2021 uh, was on the lower half of of he, he basically had the worst year of his professional career. Looking at his numbers a 1.6 war. Um, some of that was dragged down by a declining defense hit 248 with a 344 OBP of 440 slug. I think he's Freddie's age too, like 32, 33. Something he like is. That. He's almost identical to Freddie and age. Yeah. Actually. So, I mean, um, maybe I mean, he's it, fallen off so much that the, that the number won't be too big and yeah. that becomes kind of interesting, but I'm with you. There's a reason why we're talking about trade so much is that there's not a slam dunk free agent. Like, the other guys who are like expensive free agents, maybe you can shift stuff around. Like they could sign Chris Bryant to play third and have Riley play first. They could sign Nick Castellanos to DH, but they already have Azuna, that kind of stuff. Like Kyle Schwarber's available, but he's sure. a DH probably, maybe corner outfield some, but like there's no first baseman. Rizzo's the only one. And I think that's a guy where I would not want to give him a big contract. Maybe if you get him for cheap, like a two year yeah. deal for sure, sure. 30 million or something like that. Sure. But like, I think he's probably gonna be more than that just because of his name value and stuff like that. So yeah, that, there's a reason why we're talking about trades and it's because there isn't like a huge crop of first baseman available. Yeah. Uh, Mark Canna would have been fun, but he's, he's now in uh, with the Mets. So alas, I don't know. I mean, we covered it. I think all, uh, all our bases here on, uh, on Matt Olson. Uh, I will try to keep my bias to a minimum for the Parkview high school graduate, but uh, I do think he's, he's really interesting. I don't know still about what's going to happen here in terms of Freddie. Um, it's been quiet because it kind of has to be on what he is looking for. You know, the usual suspects came up in that report from Rosenthal. You're uh, the teams that we've heard about forever, Dodgers, Yankees, Blue Jays, et cetera. Angels, uh, I'm sure lurking down there, but um, yeah, I, I mean, are you, I know I mentioned my number on Freddie is like two thirds, one third. What's your gut saying on Freddie likelihood to come, to come back for a move on? I think that's probably right. Um, ultimately, if I had to bet every dollar to my name, I would say Freddie Freeman is the Braves' first baseman. 
and is so for the next five or six years. That's how I would lean. Um, I guess it's good news that there are some legitimate alternatives here. It's not like they're looking for like a franchise shortstop and there's like literally no options out there. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I think, I think 60, uh, maybe 60%. Yes. Freddie returns 40%. No. And we'll see. I do think, uh, I do think you're right though, that, uh, and, and Rosenthal for that matter too, is, is on to something that one way or the other, I think this is something that uh, we get closure on fairly quickly. I agree. Although who knows when the lockout is going to end to bring things full circle from our beginning of the, conver- of the conversation about the lockout, like there might be a mad scramble. Um, I man, I would love to be a fly on the wall in like an agent's office or a team front office right now to know like what is actually happening. Like not at the ownership level. That's interesting too. But in terms of like how, what, what can Anthopolis be doing right now? Like how is he thinking about his roster um, how is he preparing for this upcoming fracas? How, how much tampering is going on with, behind the scenes? <laughs> I would love to know this kind of stuff. Because yeah, I know yeah. in the NBA, like, tampering just gets made fun of all the time. Like, there are anti-tampering rules that everyone just breaks. Like, yeah. there's so much tampering I can't, I can't begin to express. But this is a true lockout. Like, if they get if, – if, I'm not saying the Braves. If any, if any team got caught negotiating right now, it would be very bad. <laughs> so, like, there's not a – it's not the same kind of level of risk. It would be like copy level bad if they got caught right now in the middle of the lockout. Um, So I I would just love to know what's going on behind the scenes and how, how you can prepare. I mean, it's all uncharted territory, but like, if you're the Braves, like, what do you do right now? Like you, you have to prepare for life without Freddie because he might just sign somewhere else. But you also know that like, at least for this year, if Freddie's gone, there is a Freddie Freeman sized hole in your roster and you're trying to repeat as champs. And it's like, that's not a small problem. We all know that, but it really is like, I, we did some exercises earlier with Eric and I, when we talked and even you and I have talked about this, like if you look at the roster without Freddie on it, it's not as impressive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just to say. Uh, they we probably that, need to, but. yeah, regardless of first base and to, not to go too deep here, but yeah, they could, they could stand to add some help elsewhere. Maybe a starter, starting pitcher wouldn't hurt. Maybe they an outfielder. Could. Yeah. Outfielder, depending on how they feel internally about their prospects. Um, I would add a, a veteran bullpen arm or maybe two, but again, that that's probably lowest priority at this point, but either way, I, I think you're, you're absolutely right. They have a huge hole at first base currently, whether they, whether it's Freddie Freeman or whether it's someone else, they have to fill that hole probably need some starting depth. And I would say they need to add an outfielder of some kind, even if it's not a star level player. Um, Cause as we know, it's a long season. Guys are going to get hurt. Guys are going to underperform. Guys are going to overperform. You, you just need that depth to cover a six-plus-month regular season and then hopefully a, a deep playoff run. Absolutely. Uh, we have other stuff we talk about, but we've gone for almost an hour on this, so I think we're going to pull the plug um, on this Sunday evening as I'm trying to navigate work schedules and football and basketball, all kinds of stuff. But uh, we've covered Matt Olson in depth, folks. So if you have questions about Matt Olson, we'll answer them another time. I asked, We have some mailback stuff too that we'll get into in the next couple of weeks. I'm going to be uh, more consistent now. Um, hopefully baseball and the calendar will cooperate with us in that we're hoping for spring training in a few weeks and a more regular schedule as a result of that. But um, my travel schedule is now a little bit calmer than it was in December and January. So I will commit to doing a little bit more in terms of frequency on the podcast. Um, Scott will be around when he is uh, able to as well. So we'll do, we'll dial it up in the future. It's coming. Uh, we'll, get, we'll do some more mailback stuff. We'll talk about the infield at some point, which is our one position group. We haven't really did that sort of dive into because honestly, 
that's the group that's the best, but it's also the group that's the least interesting in some ways because everybody's just good and they're coming back and all that stuff. Yeah. But anyway, uh, anything else to add, Scott, before we get out of here? Nope. Glad to be on with you, Brad. It's been far too long and hope everybody out there is doing okay. And let's hope hopefully another couple of weeks get a, a CBA agreed to and spring training and hopefully get a regular season starting on time too. Cause I don't know about you, but I think uh, as fun as it's been to relive all the, the playoff memories over the last couple of weeks and months, uh, I'm ready for some baseball, hopefully another, well, I guess less than two months now, officially to opening day. Uh, let's hope we get there. I know Eric and I mentioned this when we were on the podcast last time, uh, you and Eric have been very consistent in uh, sharing highlights on Twitter, which has been good to remind me of World Series stuff because uh, I have too many jobs and I just don't look at this stuff enough. But uh, you two have been very consistent in like yeah. everyone, like, like once every three days, it's just like, oh, there's Solaris home run again. <laughs> it's uh, Scott, it's pretty, it's pretty great to relive those moments completely stress-free. Like it's fantastic. Even like, like looking back, like the Austin Riley, uh, the Austin Riley game tying double off Julio Urias, right? Like, even though that was an, an iconic moment, Ozzy Albies beats the throw at home plate, truest is shaking. It was still a tie game and like everyone was still on pins and needles. Like that, no matter what the scenario was, short of, I guess, the walk-offs in the playoffs, no matter what, there was always some drama that came with all these great moments. So really is great to relive it and knowing that the Braves are World Series champions uh, is a lot of fun. Yes. So I would strongly recommend as we have the entire offseason watching uh, some of the highlights, some of the games, some of the calls, refresh your own memory. I've done that a few times recently just to be like, oh, like even the calls, like, you know, we were in work mode on some level during that stuff. It was very uh, terrifying, but I had, a, I, had a prep, I had a prep a podcast in the middle of all those games. So it's like, I wasn't always as dialed on the calls and like the atmosphere stuff. Cause I was just like losing my mind and also making notes and all that kind of stuff. So just kind of living in it. It's been, it's been fun. So uh, do that in the meantime, in between baseball, but hopefully baseball will come back and the Braves can uh, defend their, uh, their title. That's always fun as well. All right, Scott, thank you for, for joining me on the show. I will not go five weeks, six weeks without doing this again with you. I can assure people about that. Um, please follow Scott on the Twitter machine at Scott Coleman 55 for all Arizona basketball takes. Right. Legend himself. They're good this year, by the way. Just Arizona. They are. Michigan, uh, I don't Michigan, know, not buddy. So much. Yeah, you had a good football year. I don't, yeah, I don't know about basketball. We, we, we traded that in, apparently. Uh, the Hawks are playing well, though. That's good. The Hawks won seven in a row. So that's a positive. Anyway, uh, follow Scott. Follow the site on Twitter at Talking Chop and all the written content. Follow me if you'd like to at DT Roland. And please, if you've not subscribed to this podcast network already, I would definitely encourage you to do that. You get three shows for the price of $0. Daily Hammer with Sean. Road to Atlanta on the prospect side, and then this podcast with me, Scott, and Eric for the most part, and occasional guests as well. So subscribe, rate, review, all that fun stuff, and we'll see you all next time.
Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. 